0: Tonight we're going to go through Psalms 26 through 30. As I pray each time before we te- we go through the psalms, that um, that the I just I'm so grateful for them. Um, I'm so grateful that David went through a lot of things that we go through, and I'm so grateful that he. Them at the uh, at the uh, prompting of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for they do speak to most of the issues, if not all of the issues, that we go through as human beings. The humanity, the humanity of the Psalms is what really strikes me, and uh, and the humanity in light of who God is, and bringing those two things together, is what really is a blessing to me, and I pray a blessing to you as we go through the Psalms, I'm sure that many of you have read the Psalms through many times, and, um, and this is an opportunity to sort of dig in a little bit and see, uh, see a little bit more about each one. So, Psalm 26, Psalm 26 is a Psalm of Prayer and a Declaration of Innocence. Um, David affirms his righteous position before the Lord, but he doesn't do it from a position of arrogance, and um, that's what I that's what I love about David. Even when he does have pride, he admits it, and he considers it something that that, that the Lord has to get rid of out of his life. But um, when he is uh, when he does have a sense of his righteous standing, when he does have a sense of his place and his position in the Lord. He's, um, he's willing to let us know in these psalms, and he declares it. And what he usually does, which I love, and what we need to do also, is that he declares his righteous position because of God's loving kindness. See, it's, it's always because of God's grace and mercy uh, that we have anything, that we have a, a position, a righteous position in the Lord. And that God finds us not guilty in his eyes. And it's only because of his loving kindness that that, that, that can occur. And uh, David is clearly not perfect, and neither of are any of us. So, and But he can, with confidence, proclaim his right standing before the Lord because of God's loving kindness, because of God's grace and mercy, and because David sees his obedience and his submission. To God's law is rewarded by God. And we can see that too. We can see that our obedience and our submission to God, um, God will bring rewards and blessings into our life. So, jumping right in, in verse 1. A psalm of David, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. So here, right away in verse 1, we see... A call, David's call to divine scrutiny. David is probably asking for absolution for some unfounded accusations from an enemy. And, you know, again, we, you know, we relate this to our lives. When we're falsely accused or we're slandered by people, we can proclaim our innocence confidently before the Lord if we're walking with Him. And and that's the point. See, David could proclaim his innocence because he was walking with the Lord. And honestly, sometimes it is because we're walking with the Lord that we are falsely accused or that we're uh, slandered by people. And that may seem a little bit um, like it shouldn't happen. If we're walking with the Lord, we shouldn't have those things happen to us. But sometimes that is precisely why people come against us. Believers and unbelievers will come against us because of our right, our righteous walk before the Lord. So, what David is saying here is that God will bring vindication to those situations. We don't need to do that. And you know, I was talking to my wife today, and we, we, uh, we have a lot of fun, but we, we were talking about um, vengeance. <laughs> and she was taught many years ago by an old pastor of ours that you're not supposed to bring vengeance upon those who come against you. Actually, he put it in a, in a colorful way that she could understand. He said, You're not allowed to pop anybody's head off. That's what he said to her. And that's, you know, taken from where it came from, it's good advice. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord's. And in, in Romans 12, 19 through 21, Paul writes, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, in our in our modern day thinking, we say, okay, well, that's good. I'm going to heap Coals of fire on my enemy's head. But then Paul goes on and says, "Do not overcome, but don't do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." So in the context, we can see that that heaping coals of fire is meant in a, in a way that we bless our enemies, whatever that meant. I mean, Jesus in the uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5:44 said, "Love your enemies, bless those who curse you." Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Difficult, difficult things for us to do as humans when people come against us, when people slander us, when, when uh, there are false accusations made against us, and yet we're still told to love our enemies. So in the light of Jesus' teaching um, and Paul's admonition there, we need to leave the judgment to God. He's righteous, you know. He's going to exercise grace and love in his judgment. We won't, you know. We're going to, we're going to come at that person usually with uh, both fists flying, and uh, and we won't have as much grace when we do that. So leave that, leave that to God. Now um, in verse two, uh, David writes, "Examine me, O Lord, and prove me; try my mind and my heart." Now this I love about David, and again, it's something that we can relate to, and it's something that we can be challenged in. David is calling for God to test him. David's calling on God to test him. Because he's confident in his innocence, David is confident in the outcome of that test. And he's calling God to test him in three ways. He's saying, examine me, prove me, and try me. David's inviting God to test him the way a metal worker would test a precious metal, like gold or silver. He's examining the metal to see if there are any blemishes or external markings that would diminish its value. So David's asking God to examine him. And then the metal worker would test it in the fire to prove that it's real. And that he's not wasting his time working with fool's gold. So again, those testings, that fire, is a way that God can test us and prove us to see if we're truly his. To see if we're truly trusting in him. And then he tries it by purifying it. Bringing any impurities to the top in that process that the metal worker would use. And then David is also inviting God to test him in two aspects of his being, of his very being. He's asking them to test him in his mind and in his heart. And they're they're two different things in in a human. Our mind speaks of where our love and devotion to God originate. They originate in our mind. But it's also where our sin, sin originates in our mind. In Romans 12, too, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, it's in our minds that sin originates. It's in our minds that love and devotion to God originate. And then it moves to the heart. So David is asking God to test his mind and to test his heart. Because the heart is where either our devotion to God, our love for God, or our sin move and become who we are. It's in the heart. It says in Luke 12:34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we put our focus on, what we put our, our faith in, what we, what we make a priority in our life becomes part of who we are. And David is asking God to test him in his mind and in his heart. Difficult. Difficult thing. But for us, it puts us in the right place with God. We should have confidence that we will pass those tests. Then back to Psalm 26, verses 3 through 6. We see David now praising God for his mercies and declaring his ways before him. He writes, For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with the hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of the evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. Can we proclaim these same things? Do we walk in His truth, as David says? Or do we follow the commands and dictates of this world? Do we follow God or do we follow the world? That's what David is saying. I have walked in your truth. And again, we're challenged. Can We proclaim, do we we not sit with the idolatrous? Do we not sit with the hypocrites? or the evil, or wicked people? Do we associate with, or socialize with, people who don't care about the things of God? Do we allow them to influence us? Or do we spend our free time in fellowship with like-minded people who love God, who serve God, who put God in, in His rightful place? So again, David is... is expressing and proclaiming his innocence in these things can we do the same now of course we are in this world so we are not we are not in a in a uh, in a closed society of christians unaffected by the things of this world we live in this world we work in this world we go to school in this world we socialize we have a we have a community of people, some unbelievers and some believers. So we can't pull ourselves out of this world. But are we spending a lot of quality time with the people of God or with the people of, this, of the world? And are we allowing ourselves to be influenced by that? And then David says, I will wash my hand and hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. Can we approach God with clean hands? Are we able to go before the Lord with with the confidence of innocence before Him? Or, as it says in Isaiah 59, too, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. See, the opposite of what David is saying here, that he can approach God with clean hands is what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 59 too. It's our sin. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin, it's our iniquities that don't allow us to come into His presence. That separate us from Him. We don't want to be in that place. So David goes on in verses 7 and 8. And he says, "...that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells." So again here, David is walking in righteousness. Therefore, he enjoys part of being in the public worship of God. When when you're walking in righteousness, when you're walking with the Lord... Coming into an assembly like this of believers should be a joy. When you're in sin, you want to stay away. You won't, you won't allow yourself to be a part of what's going on in the local church. We should take pleasure in coming into the local church and in coming into the house of God. We should love it. There should be nothing more satisfying to us. Than to be among fellow believers, those and those people who love God. But if we're in sin, we're going to stay away, we're going to remove ourselves from the people of God. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we don't want it. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the conviction given in, um, in, in, in wisdom and discernment to others who may just understand that, that we are in sin. You know, God gives that wisdom and discernment to fellow believers. And we don't, want to, we, we don't want to maybe have the rebuke of others or the chastisement of the Lord. We don't want to be reminded of our sin, so we'll stay away. David's saying, no, I want to be clean, I want to be righteous, I want to walk righteously with the Lord, and then I want to fellowship with the other people of God. And then in verses 9 and 10, David writes, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. So David here now pleads with the Lord not to count him among those who hate God. We are to be separate. We are to be set apart to the things of God. We are not to be part of this wicked world or evil people. There should be, and there should be a contrast. It should be evident to all people the distinction and the difference between a believer and a non-believer. There should be clear evidence to that. And then he finishes up here, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to, to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. So David is proclaiming his stability in God. He set, set his foot upon the rock and he won't slip. And we can do the same thing. We can set our foot upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ, and we won't slip. There'll be integrity, there'll be stability in that relationship. So on to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 expresses David's faith in the Lord above all those who come against him. And he communicates this in the form of three separate conversations, David does. The first conversation in verses 1 through 6, David is speaking to himself about the benefits of being a child of God. Now, I think this is a good thing that David shows us, gives us an example That as he is going over the benefits of being a child of God, we should also do that. Remind ourselves that being a child of God is a good thing. There are many blessings that come from being a child of God. And David shows us here that, that faith in the Lord is expressed when we can say, yes, it's a good thing that I'm a Christian. It's a good thing. That I believe in the Lord. It's a good thing that I put my faith and trust in Jesus. So we'll read through verses 1 through 6. A a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumble and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Awesome verses here. He contrasts his relationship with God with the trials that he experiences. See, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of David's trials, he can still declare, and we should still declare the benefits of being in God's family. Verses one and two speak of the confidence David has in the sustenance of God, in God to sustain him, regardless of what comes against him. And he declares, "Whom shall I fear? Who shall I fear?" I love the verse in Romans 8, 31, that Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Whom shall we fear? Who are we to fear? God God is on our side. We are on God's side, but God is on our side. That's the confidence that we can have in being a child of God. To know that he'll sustain us no matter what we're going through. And then in verses 3 through 6, David speaks of divine protection. I love this. I love the the symbolism, the imagery that he uses here. Because he mentions several different dwelling places in these verses. He speaks of a house, a temple, a pavilion, a tabernacle, high upon a rock. I love that. It's, it's like no matter where we go in this world, if we are a child of God, we have His protection. Whether it's in the house, it's in a temple, His tabernacle, pavilion, outdoors, high upon a rock, God will protect His people. And His protection is available because David is focused on the Lord. He mentions the one thing in verse 4. He says, The one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David was focused on God. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. Are we in that place where we're focused on God, where God is the priority in our life? And therefore, we can receive those blessings, including that divine protection that God has for His people. So again, God has to be the priority. David had God as the first thing in his life. And He will bless us and protect us if we do the same. In Matthew 6.33, another one of my favorite verses, "...but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And all these things shall be added to you. Again, put God in his rightful place. Make him the priority of your life. And then in verses 7-12, through this is the second conversation that David is having. And this one is with the Lord. The first conversation was with himself. Just reminding himself of the blessings that come from being a child of God. Now this is a conversation that David is having with the Lord. So we'll read through it. And hear, O Lord, in verse 7, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me. Then the Lord will take Uh, Do not leave me or forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When When my father and mother forsake me, David writes, then the Lord will take care of you. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. So, here, the conversations David is having with the Lord... Prayer and seeking the Lord. In verse 8, David speaks of his obedience to God's word. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said, Your face, Lord, I will seek. When God says to us, Seek me, our response should be, I will seek you, Lord. We need to be attentive to God's leading. In our life, we need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit speaking to us, to God speaking to us in that still small voice. We need to be attentive to that and respond in obedience, like David says here. When God says, whatever, whatever it is in your life, we need to say, okay, Lord, yes, Lord. Now, David contrasts the love of earthly parents to the unconditional love of God, our Heavenly Father. He says in verse 10, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Now, some of you may have uh, uh, earthly parents who just never forsake you, who were just there all the time and wonderful and, and were always uh, just a blessing and you know, and you can't relate to this. But even in that case, in comparison to God, our earthly parents don't compare. See, God will never forsake us, no matter what. Some of you may have had earthly parents who did forsake you. Some of you may have had very difficult childhood. And you can relate to this. And maybe God is really your Your father. Maybe God is your only father, the only father you ever knew. In either case, God will never forsake us. In Deuteronomy 31 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you, He will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise the promise of God that can bring us through those fearful times in our life, those times where we, we just run up against a wall and we don't know which way to turn. God won't forsake us. And then, in the next two verses, it sort of hinges on what we just went through. In verses 13 and 14, David writes, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So now David shifts back from the conversation he's having with the Lord back to a conversation uh, with himself about perseverance and difficulties. I mean, we can probably relate I would have lost heart in this situation if it wasn't for the Lord. I've gone through something, you've gone through something that we say, if not for God in my life, I don't know how I would have made it through that situation. You guys can all relate. David is telling us that. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith in God, understanding the perseverance of the saints, that no matter what, God will be faithful, recognizing His goodness, and understanding that He wants the best for us, won't cause us to lose heart. And once we recognize He's always good, well, then we need to just wait, David says Wait upon the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait, I say. He had to say it twice. Because he knows how impatient we are. And he probably was too. He probably, David was, i sure, reminding himself, wait, wait, wait on the Lord for that answer. Psalm 28. Psalm 28 is a thanksgiving psalm. In this psalm, David rejoices to the Lord for answered prayer. And he's going to bring us through different aspects of a crisis in his life, but he ends up by praising God and by interceding in prayer. And in both cases, in prayer and in praise, he magnifies and glorifies God. So we'll read the first five verses verse 1, a psalm of David, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest, if you are silent to me, I become those, like those, who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of His hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. So David here is describing a situation, a crisis that he finds himself in. And again, it's a communication with God. Many of these psalms are communications with God. And I love the fact that David puts these down for us. We can actually read influen and we can, we can also, by virtue of the words in these psalms, communicate with God. In verses 1 and 2, David seeks the Lord in prayer and pleads for God to answer him. says, the psalm of David, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent. Have you ever prayed, God, don't be silent to me in this situation. Lord, I, I, I need to hear from you in this. Hear my voice, God. Hear my cry. And that, that's okay. That's, that's, that's okay to do. It's okay to plead with the Lord to hear from Him. But then we need to be attentive. We need to have our mind stayed on Him. We need to have our heart in tune with Him. We need to be seeking that response. We need to be seeking that answer. We need to be in His Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be, as we discussed in one of the earlier psalms, we need to be in a righteous standing with God, or that relationship will become broken. So David rightly states that if God doesn't hear and respond, then it, he is no different than someone who has no relationship with God. Now, that's, that's pretty easy to, to understand. If, if we have a relationship with God and we pray and we plead with God to answer, and we're, we're on our knees and we're waiting on the Lord... If He does not respond to us, if we're in a righteous standing with Him, then it's just as if we had no relationship with God at all. We're like an unbeliever. We're like someone who walks according to to the things of the world. So David is saying that if God doesn't hear him and respond, that he's no different than someone who has no relationship with God. But we can live in the confidence that because of our faith, we do have access to God because of our faith in the Lord, He will respond to our prayers, and there's the difference between us and an unbeliever. God will not respond to those prayers, to the prayers of the wicked and then in verses three and four, David prays our popular and precatory prayer that seeks justice upon the enemies of Him and God. And again, like we discussed in the the previous psalm, vengeance is not for us. Vengeance is for the Lord to do in His way, in His time. But we can pray for that righteous judgment. We can pray, and I think it's good that we pray this way because it removes the justice and the judgment from us and allows us to love our enemy, allows us to bless those who curse us. It allows us to not seek vengeance because we're giving it over to God. We're saying, okay, God, you're the righteous judge. You'll judge us in your time. It's not up to me. But we can pray. God, judge them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Because we, we know He's faithful to do that. And then in verse 5, we see the, region, the reason for the judgment of the wicked. It's not just because God wants to pour a judgment on people for no reason. There is a reason. It's because they don't seek the Lord. In verse 5, it says, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of His hands, He shall destroy them and not build them up. So they don't seek the Lord. They don't acknowledge the Lord. That's why people are judged. It's not because God just has a, a, just a, a, an evil streak, a mean streak. God doesn't do things that way. God doesn't work things that way. It's because they don't seek Him. So we need to remain in that right place with Him. And then in verses 6 and 7, uh, David writes, Blessed be the Lord. Because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. So here, David is rejoicing. We see this psalm move, you know, as as David's relationship and communication with God move through the crisis, the prayer time and then the rejoicing in answered prayer. This is an opportunity for us to acknowledge God and give Him the glory when our prayers are answered. Now for us, that might be sometimes difficult because God may answer our prayers in a a way that we don't necessarily like. He may answer our prayers in a way that may be difficult to discern. He may be telling us to wait, and that's maybe one of his answers to our prayers. He may be saying, not now, not later. He may be saying no. He may be closing a door that we thought was an open door. And that's an answer to prayer. So... Just because we don't understand the answers God's response to our prayers doesn't mean that He isn't answering us. Our answer may be different than God's answer. Nevertheless, we need to be grateful because He always has the best for us. So whatever that, whatever that answer may be, we have to understand that it's God's will for our lives. God's will is always the best. And then in verses 8 and 9, David says, The Lord is their strength, and He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Now, you see David move to express his reassurance of God amongst his people. He mentions in these verses his anointed, his people, and his inheritance. And he he indicates that God is our shepherd. So he's setting the stage. David is showing us about that intimate relationship that we have with the Lord. We can give thanks and we can be blessed how God deals with his church, the individuals in his church. And we are blessed, blessed corporately because we are the bride of Christ. Blessed individually and blessed corporately. And we are given a special place in God's eyes. And this is what I love. That relationship, that special relationship. His concern for us as his inheritance. His most prized possession. And that's the reason for rejoicing. You know, if, you know, if we put it in, into terms that we can understand, uh, monetary inheritance, we would hang on tight to something like that. God considers us His inheritance. Think about that. What have we done to deserve that place, that position, in, in, God's, in God's eyes? But it's because of His love to us that he, that he regards us that. I think that's, that's, that's beautiful and something that David shows us in that psalm that we need to continually remember in our lives. Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is a hymn meant to be sung. Definitely uh, a, a hymn in the truest sense of the word. It's, it's poetic. And it speaks of God's supremacy over all of creation. And it breaks down the sovereignty of the Lord into into three different aspects of creation. And it's always good for us to remember because sometimes we think that that the leaders of this world are in control. But we need to always remember that God is in control. Sometimes we think that this whole world is out of control and that God has just forgotten about everything. Well, we need to remember that. God is preeminent. God is sovereign over all of the affairs of the Lord. So in verses 1 and 2, A psalm of David, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So, verses 1 and 2, the first aspect of of God's sovereignty over creation is God's sovereignty over the heavenly beings. When David writes of, Oh, you mighty ones, we can presume that he's talking about heavenly creations of angelic beings. And we see the power of these angelic beings throughout the Scripture. I remember one angel in the Old Testament Uh, wiped out 180,000. You know, you see uh, the power of these angelic beings throughout the scriptures. God is more powerful. God is higher than those angelic beings. The Creator is always greater than than His creation. So David is reminding us that even the angels give glory to God. Even the angels... Give him the glory due his name. He's worthy of that praise. And we, just like the angels, we need to worship God because of his holiness. It says here in verse 2 worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is a beautiful thing. Holiness is not, um, in the old uh, 60s, it's not square, man. Holiness is cool. Holiness is a good thing. We need to worship the Lord. You like that, Mike?
1: <laughs> worship
0: the Lord because of his holiness. You now we were, we are called, and the Bible says, we are to be holy because he is holy. We are to be set apart. There's a beauty, that verse says, there's a beauty in holiness. There's something attractive about being set apart to the things of God. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to worship God because of that. And then in verses 3 through 9, the voice of the Lord, just listen to these verses, listen to the power of these verses. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also like, also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and the strips of forest and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everyone says, glory, power in those verses. Remember, God spoke the universe into existence by his word. He sustains it by his word. And he will eventually take it out by his word, his voice. The power of Yahweh. David says the voice of Yahweh is over the waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. As opposed to the false gods of that day, God is the one who is truly supreme and in control of even the forces of nature. Again, we see God's power, His majesty. You know, many of the pagan religious beliefs at that time had gods for every, that represent each force of nature. A god of thunder, a god of lightning, a god of rain, a god of the earth, a god of the wind. They would bow to them, they would sacrifice to them, they would worship them, they would pray to them, they would make idols to depict them. However, The one true and living God, Yahweh, is above all those false gods. For he created the lightning and the thunder. He created the earth and everything that's in it. He's the creator of all things. He's above those false gods. And notice how David uses that covenant name, Yahweh, to distinguish between those false gods that they were worshiping at that time. Powerful, powerful imagery to illustrate the awesome power of God over all of nature. I don't know about you, I love to go out in a thunder and lightning storm and just watch the power of God. How about the tornadoes? Unbelievable. The power that we see in nature. All of that the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, is above all those things. I always think of God and His power when I see those, those, uh, those phenomena, those weather, weather phenomena, whether they're tornadoes or lightning or thunder. I always think of the power of God. And He's, His voice, His voice, His voice, it says, represents the ease by which He's able to control nature. It's just by a speaking of His voice. It's nothing to God, because He's above all of that. And then in verses 5 and six, it's 6, it speaks of His awesome power. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, it says. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. You know, the cedars of Lebanon, those huge, those, amass, those massive, impressive trees that are nothing to God. He can splinter them like a toothpick. And then, David recognizes the role of God in the most intimate of natural occurrences. When he says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. It's the intimacy. See, it's the grandeur. It's the majesty of God. And yet, it's the intimacy of God. I love that about God, that multifaceted character that He has. We see His awesome power, and yet we can relate and have that intimate relationship. And then in verses 10 and 11, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as King forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. So, we see that contrast. We see the majesty and the intimacy in these two verses. God was on the throne during the flood, when Pastor Mike spoke, or, or taught us about the flood of Genesis six. God was on His throne. You know, some people might have thought, "What happened to God? How could this have happened? Was God asleep when this when this calamity occurred on the earth?" No. David writes, "God sat enthroned at the flood." And he sits as king forever. He's supreme. He's sovereign. Nothing gets away from God. Nothing escapes him. And then he shifts from that great event of the flood to his concern for his people. The Lord will give strength to his people. He will bless his people with peace. He says, look, no matter what we see, whether it's the tornadoes or the earthquakes or the floods, we see the power of God in those things. And sometimes we—sometimes it could cause us to be in fear of that power. But He blesses us with peace, it says in verse 11. In the midst of those things, and in the midst of the storms in our life, God brings a peace that surpasses understanding. I love that. And then to finish up in in Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a song and recognizes the blessedness of answered prayer. And this is, again, a reminder to us that we should be thanking God. We should be grateful to God for answered prayer. And like we stated before, sometimes it's easier and clearer to us exactly what that means Answer is than at other times, but I think that's also a good thing, because we don't necessarily know the answer all the time. That keeps us in a state of of meditation, reflection, and prayer, and in His Word, all the time, seeking, seeking, seeking. God, what's Your answer to this prayer? I I can discern this. I can't discern that. The way we discern those things is to stay constantly in touch with God through His word. So in verses 1 through 3, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should, that I should not go down to the pit. Now, in these verses, David is speaking of um, being lifted up by the Lord. Being encouraged by God. God sustaining him and protecting him over his enemies. But he's also talking to the Lord about healing. He says, O oh God, I cry out to you. Cried out to you, and you healed me. I think it was. A, I thought it was an awesome display of faith on Sunday when many of you came forward for prayer after service. You know, Pastor Joe had just expressed uh, something that was on his part, that a lot of people were going through some physical ailments in this fellowship, and to put faith on those things to. To put feet on your faith and to come forward for prayer. And many of you did. David says, I cried out to you and you healed me. Now look, we've all been sick. We've, everyone that's in this room has been healed by the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? If you weren't healed, you wouldn't be here. So in some, at some point in all of our lives, God has healed us. God has touched us. Maybe he's used the doctors to do that. Maybe he's miraculously healed us. Maybe through a period of time he's taken away that infirmity. But in one way or another we've all been healed by God. David is saying we need to recognize that. That's answered prayer. That's a blessing that comes from God. That's an intimate relationship that God has with his people. He's healed us at some point. We need to recognize that. He's taken us from sickness to health. And we go back and forth. Sometimes we're better and sometimes we're not. But He's taken us through those things. Verses 4 and 5. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that. Isn't that a great verse? His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. David is encouraging us to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. He's also also acknowledging, by contrast, God's multifaceted character. His anger goes out in righteousness and righteous judgment. And I love that. He says, but for a moment. But his favor is a lifetime. He reveals his anger toward sin, God does. That we may even be chastised for our disobedience, but it doesn't last forever. His mercy is always near. Now listen to this verse in Isaiah 54. Actually, two verses. Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8. And listen to the words that are used. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. Listen to the contrast. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. See, God turns away from our sin, but then He has great mercies to gather us back into His fold. Isn't that awesome? And then in verse 8 of that same chapter, with a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Mm Redeemer. You see God's character? Right there in those two verses. Listen, I have to do this, God says. Because of your disobedience and your sin, I need to chastise you. But it's only for a moment. And it's just a little wrath. Because if I wanted to, I can zap you right now. That would be it. But His everlasting kindness far exceeds that, that little bit of wrath. Don't consider... Listen, think of God in the right perspective. His kindness and His love and His mercies far outweigh that little bit of wrath that He has to show us in our times of disobedience. Accept it. Receive it. Be thankful even for it. Because then He will reveal His mercies to us. I love that. Now in prosperity, in verses 6 and 7, as we finish up. Now in my prosperity, I said, this is David talking, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face." and I was troubled. Listen, David again is being very very open and honest with us. He's saying, in my arrogance, in my prosperity, in other words, when everything was going really well, I said, boy, I'm doing great. David says, I will not be moved. I am just doing fine. But that was arrogant. That was prideful, David says. He even recognizes it. It was in his prosperity that he said that. But Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain strong. See, it's by God, it's by God's favor that everything goes well in my life. If we're in a great place, if we're not going through a trial at this point, or if there are times that come that we're in a really great stretch of time, where everything's just going great, don't become arrogant in that. Don't think it was anything that you did. It's because of God's favor upon your life that things are going well at that time. Again, we give all the glory to God, all the honor to God, all the praise to Him. Verses 8 and 9. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Now David here is giving us the, his Old Testament view of eternity. See, so it was, was limited. He sees the end of his earthly life as the end of his opportunity to praise God. And certainly, the end of our earthly life is the end of our opportunity to praise God amongst other people. But, as we've learned through the, through the New Testament accounts, we continue to praise Him through eternity. We continue to worship Him. David is lamenting the fact that, God, when I, if, if, when I die, I can't be a witness to others of what you're doing in my life. And that we can we can be a little bit discouraged in that. That, you know, our witness ends. Our witness to others ends when we die. But it can also give us a sense of urgency. Because we don't know the day the end of our... Device. We don't know when we'll be taken out of this world. That can give us a sense of urgency. God, I know that when I'm gone from this life, I can't witness to my friends, my co-workers, my relatives any longer. Maybe at your funeral that could be a witness. Maybe not. But once that happens, you can't do it any longer. You will continue to pray, uh, praise the Lord in eternity, but it will be different. So David's just sort of giving us an insight into his, his view of the afterlife. And then closing up in verses 10 through 12. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Again, now David declares God's God's desire, God's desire to restore joy and fullness to David's life. In contrast to the self-sufficiency that David was speaking of in verse 6, here he gives all the glory to God and expresses his gratitude. And... We can get to that point, too, where we just finally admit that everything that we have of any worth in this world comes from God. Any of our successes are because of God's grace and mercy, and we can give Him all the praise for it. Let's pray.